Well, good morning, church. Everyone doing well? Thank you, Pastor, again, just for the opportunity to get to share the Word of God with his family this morning. Are you guys ready for the Word of God? Are you ready this morning? God wants to speak to us, and that's, that is exciting, isn't it? He knows every single one of your situations, every single detail, and he wants to speak his word to those situations. And if we allow him to let his word penetrate, then it can bring life change and transform our minds. Amen? Well, I've entitled the message this morning, Spiritually Unemployed. Spiritually Unemployed. Unemployed means a person without a paid job, but available to work. Or another definition for unemployed means uh, not in use. And so I read an article and it said, at, as restaurants, at restaurants across the country, from New Mexico to Fort Worth, Texas, the same sign is popping up. We are short-staffed. Please be patient with the staff that did show up. No one wants to work anymore. The implication is that the federal government's expanded unemployment benefits of 300 each week are keeping people at home instead of behind cash registers and in fast food kitchens. It's a concern shared by independent business owners and interviews with local and national media, the article continued to write, worried that their efforts to bump wages and increase benefits aren't luring in the workers they need as COVID-19 restrictions fall and consumer spending soars, spiritually unemployed, and how God has equipped us, even in the seasons where we are, to go out and do the work that he's called us to do. Heavenly Father, this morning we just ask that your word would help us, your word would renew us, God, it would refresh us, God, it would also convict us. Lord, I pray that as we hear from you, God, as we leave from here even today, that we would go and change certain areas of our lives that would help us to be more beneficial towards kingdom work. God, I pray that you would wake the church up. God, I pray that you would prepare us for revival. God, we know that there's spiritual preparation that comes with revival, but there's also practical preparation that comes with revival. Holy Spirit, reveal to us this morning what those are and help us to walk in them as a church. God, we honor you. We thank you for what you're going to do through your word, through your worship, through your presence this morning. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew 9, and I'm going to read verses 35 to 38. If you guys could turn there, it'll also be up on the screen. But we want to look at a time where Jesus wanted to equip his disciples and equip people for what God wanted to do. So Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Send out laborers into his harvest. And so the focus this morning, um, I want us to, as Pastor was even saying, it's important to have prayer focuses, but the focus I want in these few chapters is that harvest, and what that harvest looked like. You know, as I've read earlier with that article, I've talked with many people who work, and many of you in here have jobs, and you can attest to maybe you're the one who has been showing up to work during this time, and you're feeling the strain and the stress of people calling out, of new people being hired, and maybe not living up to the standard of the company, and the weight is on you. 
The, you're dealing with customers who are frustrated because they've been living through a pandemic and now they want to go out, they want to spend, but they're getting frustrated because they're not getting their coffee as fast enough, they're not getting their food as fast enough. And so there's frustration on both ends. There's frustration on business owners who want their stores to run at the, the highest standard possible, but they can't find enough people. My wife works at Starbucks, and there's times where mobile ordering is one of the biggest things now. It's one of the biggest fads where people can just click a button on their phone and walk into the store and get it. And that's nice, but when you don't have enough workers to make those mobile orders, she's told me some mornings where they just had to shut it off. There's some times where they've had to lock the doors. They've got people breathing in the windows, fogging up the windows, and looking through, getting frustrated, but they don't have enough. They can't keep up with the demand, and people are getting more agitated. Lines are getting longer. I talked to another person who works in a restaurant, and he says that it was the busiest time one night, and they had hired a new dishwasher, and, and so someone shouted across, we need more plates, and there was no answer. So they looked around, and they said, we need more plates, and he was, no, he was, he was gone. He walked out the exit and just left mid-shift and gone, never came back. And so what the chefs had to do is they had to rotate. Well, some cooked, some would wash dishes, and then they just keep rotating. But people kept coming in. People were getting frustrated. I worked before I came here to Victory. I worked at a, a, a store, and I remember we hired someone who thought it was going to be an easy job. And after the first day, he said, I'm going to go take my lunch. He never came back. That was two years ago. Pastor, he's still on his lunch break. You know, unemployment is something that is helpful and beneficial when it's in the right context. But human flesh can take advantage of that. And we're at a point now where it's not just affecting the businesses, it's affecting the families. I met with someone from the church who said it's a strain on their marriage because they never see each other. They can't spend time because one's working and the other comes home and the other works and they just, they can't keep up with the demand. And so in the same way this morning, I believe that God wants to shift our thinking as a church. As you know, Pastor has been talking about revival and what that looks like. As a staff, he's been preparing us that it's not just about the spiritual things, it's about the practical things. If God is going to bring in, what if he brings in 100 families on one Sunday? Are we ready? Are we prepared? And as a staff, we're preparing for that. We're praying, we're, we're trying to put people in the right positions, but we're at a point where the church is being affected as well. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of things to be done, be done but the laborers are few. And so there's three things about the harvest that I want to share with you this morning that I hope will just shift our perspectives to the right place and allow God to work in our hearts. And number one is simply this, the harvest is messy. The harvest is messy. In verse 35, it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This morning I'm wearing some new sneakers that I got just for the sermon illustration. This is not a new trend, but I was, I was very hesitant. These are actually my favorite brand and type of sneakers and they came out in the white. So I said, I had to, actually had to wrestle. Should I get them in white? White looks so nice, but you know, if you buy white sneakers, you're gonna get them dirty the second you put them on. And so I bought them anyways. And they began to get dirty, and what I, it's funny, I, I went on Amazon and I was researching shoe cleaners. I wanted to find the best one, and I found this one that they said it's like shoe magic. It works great, and so um, I think Tara was out, and, uh, and the girls were kind of watching me. I got a big thing of hot water, I got a brush online, and I began scrubbing them, and they're sitting there watching me like, Daddy, what are you doing? I said, I'm cleaning my sneakers. And so I cleaned them, I wiped them, and this stuff works great. It really did. 
And I remember we went outside and I looked down and there was a giant dirt scuff right across the top of my, I literally said out loud, are you kidding me? I didn't even do anything. We literally just went down the stairs. And what I was thinking of as I was preparing for this is you can't expect to have spotless sneakers, especially when they are white. Things are going to happen. And if the harvest fields are plentiful, if people are in need of Jesus, you can't expect to have clean hands when you're reaching down into the dirt. And sometimes what happens is when I put these sneakers on, I have to think of my whole day. If I'm wearing these, do I have a task that I have to do outside at the church? Because I know that this is going to ruin it. And I actually have another pair in my office that's the exact same type, but they're black. And when I wear either one, there's a different mindset. When I'm wearing the ones that are all black, I can do anything. I can run outside and pick up trash. I can go do whatever. But when I'm wearing these, it's like I walk. I even walk different. I'm walking up the stairs and I'm, I'm walking like I got a limp. But we do that. And I think spiritually we do the same thing sometimes. We look at ourselves. We look at our lives. And we, we take ourselves out from the work of God. We make excuses. And sometimes we need to take our spiritual white shoes off and put the ones that are black that doesn't show the spots and we need to get in the game. We need to put our hands into the dirt. We have to get dirty. The harvest is messy. You know, Jesus was thorough. It says in the very first verse, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. You know, for those of you who have a job, you know what I'm talking about. There comes a moment when you have an opportunity to choose to stay thorough in your work or to choose just to do enough to just get by. We've all been at those places. If you start a new job, training is different. You're more attentive, you're more alert, you're paying attention to detail because you're in the training. Your boss is there looking over you, he's showing you how to do things. You're nervous as well, so I just believe that makes you more alert and more thorough in everything that you do. But once you get more comfortable, once you know the process of different things, there comes a time where there's little shortcuts that you know you can do. There are annoying little jobs where you have to be thorough, but you know what? You say, I can do just enough to get by. And it's in that moment that when we do that, that things begin to slip between the cracks. Jesus was thorough in his ministry. The scriptures say that he went throughout all of the cities in the villages. Wherever he went, he looked everywhere to see where there was ministry. He didn't pretend to close his eyes. He didn't put on blinders. He didn't surround himself by people so that he could walk through certain areas that maybe weren't as high end. He was thorough in his ministry and in everything that he did. And we as a church, as workers, as laborers, we want to be thorough in everything that we do. We don't want to not drive by certain people. We don't want to ignore and and put our headphones on or look at our phones. We want to be looking up and seeing the needs of people. And that's what Jesus did. And it says he went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Proclaiming means to be a herald. It means to tell out loud. The gospel means the good news. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom speaks of dominion. And he would go around telling people who were enslaved, teaching them of this good news that would bring freedom into their lives. That's the gospel, amen? Amen. And if we as a church can grab a hold of that, it's not about just doing ministry within this church. It's when you go out, it's when you're at your workplace, when you're tired, when you don't want to talk to people, that we have to say, God, wake me up and allow me to see, allow me to be thorough when I'm talking to someone. We know how to talk to someone if we don't really want to know what's going on in their life. We know what to say. 
But Jesus, who was tired, who was weary, who was human, never looked past people. He always took the time. He always sacrificed the time. Actually, there was a time in the scriptures where it said he was tired and he was trying to withdraw, but the crowds came, and it says when he saw them, he had compassion on them. People need Jesus today more than ever, church. We know that you're tired. Those of you who are working, those of you who are serving, you know that you're weary. Those who've walked with the Lord for many years, we know that the enemy is doing a work in your life, but God is preparing us and equipping us for such a time as this. We need to be thorough, amen? You know, it's interesting that it says after he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom that he would heal every disease and every affliction. You know, if you study that in the Greek, disease and affliction almost mean the same thing. But what it's talking about is one is a symptom of the disease and the other is the actual disease. Jesus doesn't just go over the symptoms. He heals the root problem. Celebrate Recovery is a ministry that God is using. It gets to the root problems. We don't want to just cover the symptoms. God wants to get to the root. And because he's thorough, because he's not trying to just get by, he gets to that root and he pulls it up and he brings healings. He healed thousands and thousands, even millions of people. And it affected their lives. And in the same way, God has given us that same authority. Amen? But we don't want to allow our circumstances to dictate whether we become thorough in what God has called us to do. Amen? We see this other part here. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He was moved with compassion. This, is, this phrase right here is the strongest word for pity in the Greek language. It describes the compassion which moves a man to the deepest depths of his being, says a commentator. One of the interesting things is in ancient times, the bowels were actually thought to be the seat of love and pity. And in the Greek, moved with compassion literally means to be moved as to one's bowels. When Jesus looked at people's situations, he didn't just say, oh, that's a shame and go living his life. He got dirty. He reached his hands into the soil. He got his hands dirty to reach people, to clean people, to save people. Church, we have to reignite that passion, that compassion in our hearts in these days. We're tired, we're weary, but it's that type of compassion that compels us to reach people. And the Holy Spirit can give that to us. And it's an amazing thing when he does, because you want to know why? Even though you may be in a season of being weary and being tired, the Holy Spirit equips us, he helps us, he gives us that supernatural strength to go above and beyond. God knows that we can't do it alone. We can't do it in our humanness. But the Holy Spirit is here to help us. Amen? Take off your spiritual white sneakers. Don't walk around with a limp and put on the sneakers that can get dirty. And when God sees you do that, he'll put you in the places where you'll be able to reach people and reach them for the gospel. Amen? So number one, the harvest is messy. Number two, the harvest is plentiful. In verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Unemployment in America is at its peak, yet there are no laborers. I don't know about you, but we've driven around and we've seen signs everywhere. We see signs on Burger Kings and McDonald's saying, we'll hire 14 to 15 year olds. You know, I remember I went, to a, uh, I went to a McDonald's and I got a Big Mac and I brought it home. I was so excited to eat it and I opened it and it looked like they shook it. I mean, the, the meat was literally folded over. I said, how do you even do that? 
It's not a hard job. It's not rocket science. You take the burger and you put it on the thing. They missed the sauce. The sauce was on the side of the box. Sarah's like, you can bring it back. And I said, no, I don't want to bring it back. I'm afraid of what they're going to do to it if I bring it back. You can't see what happens behind those walls. But you're having more and more inexperienced people who don't have experience just doing things just to get by. And it's frustrating. But unemployment right now, there are jobs out there. But companies cannot find the laborers. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. That word plentiful means it's large. The harvest is large. It's ready to be picked. But it lacks laborers. How does it get to a point in the church where the fields are ready for harvest, but there is no one there to reap it? I talked to a friend of mine who's a pastor, and you could just see the weight on him as he was talking about the things that he wants to do in the church. The fact that they can't even open up their children's ministry because there are literally no workers. He said they've lost families who've come and they've gone because they've gone to other churches that do have ministry. And you can see the strain in his eyes because he has a passion for it. Him and his wife would do it, but they're lacking laborers. How do we get to that place in the church? I believe it's a lack of compassion. We can feel bad for people. We can feel bad for situations. But if it's not that compassion that reaches down into our bowels, we're not going to change our life or the method that we do things. We have plenty of opportunities to serve here at Victory. You know, I'm thankful for those that are serving today. We had to make some switches around even for the media. And I sent out a text to our media group, and Paul Nyage gets right back to me and says, I'll do both services. He's got a family. But there was no, no problem with him doing that. You know, we look at Rob, who has a new baby. He's got three kids. But he serves in that sound booth every single Sunday morning. Bernard, every single Sunday morning, who works a, tireless, a tiring job. But they know the call. They understand the need. But we're looking to train and raise people up. This message is more for people who are not serving in the church. It is for people who are serving, but we're here to, to encourage you to keep serving. That God is going to move. That God is going to send laborers into the harvest. We believe that, and we're seeing it. We're seeing it already. We're seeing new ministries pop up. We're seeing people have not, who have never uh, been raised in the church and God is touching their lives and now they want to get involved. We all need to have that mindset. We need to have God develop that. For Tara and I to serve, for me to even be able to do this, for Tara to even be able to sing, we thank people like Kara and like Rachel who, have, who serve tirelessly in the, the children's ministry. Our girls are in there learning the word of God because people are there at their posts. They're stationed there faithfully every single week. People like Janice who serve and pour into the children's ministry. We're so thankful for those people. They don't get to hear it. They're not even hearing it now because they're in there serving. But we're thankful for them that God has placed that compassion in them. But church, we have to help. If you're in here this morning, if you're watching on live stream and you are not serving in the church, you need to get on your face and ask God to give you that compassion. Amen? Amen? Yes. People are coming to victory from all over. And so how do we prepare for revival? We fill in the areas that people don't think about. There are areas here that we need to have people serving that are pretty simple. There's a table out there, and at the end of the service, we're going to pray, and I want to encourage you. Yes, it's good to come to the altars to get a touch from God, and, and you feel those emotions, but emotions go away when you go back 
out into the work and into the real world. But I want to encourage you, if you are not yet serving in this church, stop by that table and put your name on something. We don't have things that are difficult. If you know how to smile, there's a place for you. If you know how to greet people, there's a place for you. If you have legs and you can walk, we have a place where you can serve. And we want to encourage you to do that. You know, not everyone gets to be the, the quarterback. And not everyone can be the quarterback. We don't all get to be lead pastors of the churches. But you know what? Do you even really want to be a quarterback? Because as soon as that football is hiked, he's the number one person on that field that the opposing team wants to crush and wants to see crushed. Yeah, sign me right up for that. We're not asking for everyone to stand behind a pulpit. But what we're asking is for you to take your place and take a post as God prepares our church for revival. You know, what's going to happen because we don't have as much parking as we want. God is expanding it. But if we have 100 pet families, you know what they come in? They come in cars. And if we only have one or two people out there guiding people in and they're doing that every single Sunday, they're going to get tired. And so if you can wave at people, if you know how to point, then go out and sign up on there. and we'll, they'll, they'll train you. They'll show you what to do. And you know what's going to happen? When you begin to serve, God's going to do something in your heart. And when God sees that the church is doing that, when he sees that, that lists are getting filled up, that people are saying, even though I'm busy, even though I'm working, I want to carve out time to serve in the church, then God will begin to bring the people because it's not just about the spiritual things, it's about the practical things. Amen? Amen. You know, people like to say they are passionate. We have a young generation that they say they're passionate, and they may, they may be. They say we wear the t-shirts, they make their little TikTok videos and their posts and to make awareness. But if their life is not changing when the dust settles or the crowds go away, then it's not passion at all. It's emotion. Passion is seen through the high moments to the points when life goes back to its regular thing and you are still continuing to serve. You are still continuing to be and make awareness. I've had people who told me, how come you're, or they, they have thoughts of, how come you're not out in the streets and you're not out in the, we're here serving. We're doing what God has called me to do. And you know what? The dust has settled, but we are still walking what God has called us to do, to train and to disciple young kids. We aren't called to run anyone else's race, but we are called to walk and have the eyes and have that compassion that Jesus had, that compassion that moves us to our bowels, that moves us to be thorough, that moves us not to just get by, but to get our hands in the soil, to get dirty, to get covered so that we can reach the lost. Amen? We have, a, we have a group that's serving right now in New York. We have a group from our church that went this weekend to the New York School of Urban Ministry. And we were getting pictures. I was getting pictures from Elsa, who is there, and they're out serving in the community. These are people who pay $200. The church doesn't pay for that. We don't pay people to go. Who took work off to go to another place to serve people. And that's powerful. These are people who know the call. They sacrifice, and you know what? God is going to honor that. God is going to bless that. Amen? So the harvest is messy. The harvest is plentiful. And lastly, the harvest is expiring. The harvest is expiring. One of my favorite things that Tara gets when she goes grocery shopping, because they're very expensive, is, uh, and what's funny is when the pandemic happened, you know how things were flying off the shelves, people would mention toilet paper and then the toilet paper was gone? One of the things that flew off the shelves was pepperoni. 
Any of you guys, how many of you guys like pepperoni? I remember they mentioned it on the news and then we went to get it and they said, sorry, we're out. And we're like, excuse me, you're out? Who goes out of pepperoni? We went to like three different stopping shops and they were completely out. And so, and it's expensive, but sometimes she'll come home with this, this package of sliced pepperoni cut really thick and it's my favorite thing. And I get so excited, but I don't eat it right away because I know that it's expensive and I know that we're not always gonna have it. And I remember she bought a package and then one day I finally decided to go in and get some and I opened it and there was a funny smell. So I've been kind of, I, I didn't know if it was in the fridge, it was, and then I opened the package and it was like a punch in the face. And I said to her, you think this is still good? I wanted to give her some to try just to see how, what her reaction was. But it expired. It expired. And you know what I thought? It's not so much that I thought the pepperoni wouldn't expire. It's more of I couldn't believe how fast the time went by from the last time I checked when it did expire. The scary thing about the harvest is it's one of the most laborious tasks for a farmer when it's time to harbor, harvest. But it's when you get the rewards of what you've planted. But Jesus is saying something here in verse 38. He says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Why do we have to pray earnestly? Because there's an expiration date on this world. There's an expiration date for the people in our lives. And if we don't get into our prayer closets and allow God to put that weight on us, to pray earnestly for God to send us out, for God to equip us, there might be an expiration date on some people's lives and they will never get to enter into eternity. And that's a sobering and scary thought. But there's still time. Jesus is saying the fields are white as snow. The harvest is ready. And all we have to do is surrender our lives and say, God, what can I be a part of? It's gonna be so powerful when God begins to bring more people to the church and we see people at their posts. It's such an awesome thing to walk around and see people serving. I wanna show a quick video um, of uh, Nettie. We've had some Why I Serve videos and we did an interview with Nettie and just asked her why she serves here. So if you could just pay attention to the screen. I serve at Victory because it brings me joy to serve. Um, besides obeying God and Him telling us that we need to serve, I just kind of grew up watching my mom serve, so it's just something I took on naturally. And I just think I have the personality to just serve and just be interactive with everybody, and I just love it. Uh, serving has impacted my life a lot because I feel like I said this a couple of times when I've given testimonies in church that there's a lot of things you know as a young person you could really get into that's not really good for you but I feel like serving has kept me from those things especially when I was on worship team because I always felt like Aunt Pastor Lisa always held us to a higher standard on being on the pulpit so I felt like there's no way that I could be serving in church and doing things and then not doing the same things outside of church. So it kept me not only rooted in church, but outside of church as well. So that's why the, one of the main reasons why I serve because it keeps me, you know, rooted in both places. And that's why. Uh, 
Uh, it's important for everyone to serve in church because it brings us all together. When I do children's church, at the end, when I'm trying to get the kids to clean up quicker, I make it a game and say, teamwork makes the dream work, and they all rush in. And I just like that because it does help everybody do a one common goal together. Besides that, it helps you to get to know everybody on a more personal level and not just hi, bye, but you work with them and do things with them so you get to talk to them on a more personal level. So that's basically it. Teamwork makes the dream work and we get to know each other better. Amen. Now we're going to hear more testimonies of people who are serving. But doesn't it encourage you to see people who are serving in the church faithfully? She works a long job overnight, and she still serves. She pours into my kids. I love it. I remember I went and picked, uh, picked up my girls one time, and you could tell she was tired. I knew she had worked overnight, but the energy that she had, loving on my girls, giving them hugs, cleaning up the nursery with them. People don't see that, but God sees that, and he's going to honor that. And so we honor everyone in here who is serving, who's currently serving, who has caught the vision, who has a compassion for people. And if you're tired and you're weary, be strengthened. God will give you that strength to keep serving. If you haven't yet served, we have positioned everything into the point where all you have to do is, is sign a name and say, God, what can I do to help? And when God sees that, he's going to begin honoring that. We're going to begin to see growth. Amen? Amen? You know, when it says send out laborers in the Greek this is more forcible. This is literally from the, the Greek, it's more forcible. It is that he would push them forward or thrust them out. It is the same word which is used for the expulsion of a devil from a possessed person. It takes great power to drive a devil out, but it will take and need equal power from God to drive a minister out to his work. It's using that same wording. It's showing the earnestness of it. It's amazing if we were to literally see a field of people who are lost and all we had to do was go out and give them a hand and bring them into salvation. That's all we have to do, church. You know, and something that God encouraged me with is, you know, how frustrating is it when you do pray for someone and you do sacrifice for them and they don't do anything with it? We've had people in the community that I've seen, we've gotten to pray for. Pastor Rich and I even saw them when we were out for coffee one time and we prayed for them. And I questioned, I said, God, we just saw him again last night. And every time we've invited him to church, but I said, God, he's not coming. But the Lord reminded me in this verse that he is Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest, it's not mine. And it says to send laborers into his harvest. It's his harvest. I've done the work that God has called me to do. All he's calling us to do is just be thorough. But it is God who does the work. It is God who saves people. And we have to allow that. We have to also realize that not everyone we reach wants to run to Jesus. Many people, in fact, turn their backs on Jesus. Many crowds. But it doesn't mean that we lower our standards. It doesn't mean that we don't become any less thorough. It means that we just continue doing what God has called us to do. And the people that God puts in our past, those are the ones that God will save, and we will see them in the house of the Lord, serving, rejoicing, and living in freedom. Amen? You know, revival needs to happen, but again, how do we prepare for it? As you go out, this morning and you see those signups, you're gonna see places for a parking ministry. You're gonna see places for greeting. You're gonna see places for ushering, for children's ministry, for nursery, for youth, for media, 
for live stream. There's two invisible lines on this platform that I can't go over because I'll go out of the live stream scene because we don't have enough people who are standing there to move the iPad. And so we subconsciously have to stay within those parameters. But if you're not serving today and you think, you know what, I can turn an iPad. I can push a button on a big screen. Then put your name on that paper, we'll train you and begin serving and begin allowing God for you to use you. Amen? Amen. I want to show a video before we end and before we pray, but there was a time in our lives for, where Tara and I were serving at another church. The pastor just spoke about giving and the importance of tithes and offerings. You know, the statistics show that I think it's 4% of Christians tithe. Like, think about that. Think of what the kingdom of what the churches could do if Christians actually realized, you know what, giving is a part of my worship. But there are Christians in the church who have been raised in the church who are making money and they give nothing back to God. And that's frustrating. I had to learn how to tithe. I had to learn. My mom had to forcibly sometimes, give me that check. I'll show you how to tithe. And I always thought when I gave money away, it would mean I have less of, but that's worldly thinking. When we give money away, it means that we have more of because God has given us 100% of it anyways. And he said in his word that he's going to bless us when we give back. We don't tithe just to tithe. We tithe because it goes towards things. It goes to help further the kingdom in a practical way. And so there was a time in our lives, I've been in ministry going on 15 years, and most of that time has been bivocational, which means you have a working job and you still do ministry. And there was a time in our lives where I was full-time, and I had to sit down with the church, and the pastor had to look at me and say, the tithes are low, and we've met with the council, and next week you'll get 50% of your paycheck. The week after you'll get 25%, and after that we can't give you anything. And I remember we didn't really panic, but we went home, we prayed, and you know what? God restored. God gave me a job that next month. That was when Tara was pregnant with Madeline. And there was some stress and some anxiety in that season. And I remember even the council members, the elders, I, they, did, they told me at that meeting that there was weeping. Because they had to do that to me. They had to, they had to cut the lead pastor's salary. They had to cut the assistant pastor's salary. They said there was weeping, but there was nothing they could do because people weren't giving. We were affected by people who weren't giving. But you know what? We don't rely on people. Because even when people don't give, God still looks out for his laborers. Amen? And God gave us a job that paid more money that allowed us to still do the youth ministry and still allowed me to reach people who are at a company who needed Jesus. God still works in the lowest seasons. I remember I had to wrestle through some anger with the church specifically. I had to get frustrated and say, God, why aren't people giving? But thank God that there was a turnaround, Amen. that people began giving again. More people were hired and the church could do more. We don't just sit back and think the church just operates by itself and everybody else does the work. We're tired of that percentage of 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. That's not kingdom mindset. Here at Victory, we're beginning to see people rise up. We're seeing people who are serving. We're seeing people who are giving. That empty space outside with the foundation, that's because you guys are giving faithfully, and we want to continue doing it. Amen? Yeah. 
We're literally building an expansion after a pandemic when a lot of churches are just struggling to keep their doors open. And we're not saying that to put down other churches. We're not saying that to lift ours up. But we believe that our pastors have set a standard in our church. They've taught us how to be faithful even in the dry seasons. And we're seeing God bring growth after a pandemic. Amen? And all glory to God. Let's give God just glory for that. I want you guys to see this video as I close in um, prayer. It's by the famous uh, evangelist Leonard Ravenhill. I don't know if you've heard of him. But he was a man who just had a heart for revival. And I want you guys to um, just hear a prayer that he wrote entitled, Our Need for Revival. I'm sick of theology and words. We need God to move in our midst. Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, Lord, don't stay there. Come down here. The one thing that alarms me in America and England is that there is no alarm in the church. You say America needs God. No, she doesn't. The church needs God. If the church gets God, America will soon feel it. She'll be staggering. A preacher said something the other day that's very disturbing to an audience that he was addressing. He said, I want to tell you that if God withdrew the Holy Spirit from my church today, it would function tomorrow the same way we wouldn't even know he'd got. And methinks that might be written of many churches in that we become so mechanical. We go in at 11 and come out at 12 and the Holy Ghost must come when we open the door of the church and he must leave when we lock it. And we try and lay down the track and say, come Holy Ghost, for thee we call spirit of burning, come, but come our way. We've laid down the conditions. Holy Ghost, come, but please don't violate our theology. Don't upset our status quo. Don't break our hearts over the lost world. Oh, yes, yes, preachers. You and I will raise our hats to Finney and Bulls. And we raise our hats to the martyrs. And we thank God for the last drop of their blood. But we won't give him the first drop of ours. I can't live another day without the fire of God. Consuming me everything that's unchristlike. Consuming me everything which hinders surrender everything. That's revival. When you can't sit through the meeting, you feel you've got a burning cancer. If I don't get to the cross now, I may die before the meeting's over. Every preacher who has lost the fire, you should be on your face down here. You used to burn, but you got so busy with organizing, the fire has gone out. Come on. You can't patch up your prayer life when you get to the judgment seat. You can't sacrifice when you get to the judgment seat. You can't weep when you get to the judgment seat. It's all between here and there. Listen, if our God is a consuming fire, and He is, if He takes a residence in you, you'll burn till you die. God needs a torch of holy fire in your house. He wants a fire in you to read the word of God to your family. He wants the fire of God your neighbors will know. I can't live in coldness anymore. I can't live in blindness anymore. I can't be indifferent to a dying world. 
Yes. Glory. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. The harvest is messy. The harvest is plentiful. And the harvest is expiring. You know, if I could just be real for a second, as I was preparing for the message in my office, I was talking to Pastor Richard, just saying, you know, God was moving and I knew I needed to be praying, but I was watching the clock because I wanted to get home for Abby's bedtime. And, but God was moving and I was feeling guilt as a father, but I also knew as speaking, I, I needed to be, have a touch from God. And so I stayed and I prayed and I got home, but she was already in bed. You know, and I was wrestling with that. You know, what is she going to think? Am I giving too much focus to church? Am I giving too much focus to ministry? But the next morning, I got to spend the whole morning with her, and she just sat on my lap the whole time. You know, God, he redeems the time that we sacrifice. You know, I feel like I've, I got just a small taste of, you know, I think of Pastor Richard, I think of Pastor Lisa, and God just put a little bit of the weight on me of the sacrifice that they've given, 30 plus years of serving God, the sacrifices that they've made with family, the sacrifices that they've made not going to events because the work of God needed to be done. And for us as a church, we have to get a little bit of that weight back. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to put that on us so that we can share the burden for a lost and dying world. The enemy will try and Put in your mind the things that you'll miss if you sacrifice time in prayer and you sacrifice time in serving. He'll tell you that you're going to lose your job if you tell your boss that I can't work on Sunday mornings because I have church or Wednesday nights because we have service. But every time for Tara and I, when it's looked bleak, God has opened up doors to still be able to go to church, to still serve, and he's still provided for us faithfully. We're in a season where God wants to move the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Could you stand with me this morning as we pray? Tara is going to just lead us in a song, as, and that's going to be our altar time. If you do need to come to the altar and you do need prayer, then these altars are going to be open. But as I said earlier, the altar time can be an emotional time and emotions go away. But if you are not serving right now and God spoke to you through this message and you felt a little bit of that compassion spark inside of you, then I want you on your way out into the foyer to go look at the needs that we have in the church and to put your name down. We will follow up with you. We will pray with you. We will train you. We will equip you. But the harvest is plentiful and we need laborers to go out. That word laborers in this in this context, in the Greek, literally means a paid workman. We need laborers to go out into the harvest fields. Amen? And we need God to touch us first because we can't do it in our own flesh. We can't do it in our own, in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to touch us. Just as Leonard Ravenhard was saying, you can, hear the, the, you can hear the desperation in his voice and in his prayers. He couldn't even finish his sermon because people were so touched by the Holy Spirit that they flocked to the altars. Church, we need to have that same weight. And I felt it in my spirit, but Pastor Richard and Lisa, God is going to restore the sacrifices. God is moving in the church. The enemy's trying to come against it. But God is doing something in victory. He's stirring. 
Sometimes we don't see the hand of God right away. But he's working beneath. And we're going to see an explosion in our church of people who are going to be delivered, people who are going to be healed. And it's you guys who are going to take up your posts. And we're going to see God move in a mighty way. Amen? Let's pray. And then I want us to sing this chorus together. And if you need prayer, these altars will remain open. If not, on your way out, just say a quick prayer and say, you know what? I'm not serving at Victory yet, but I want to begin to serve. Take some time as you walk around that table and just see where you feel led. Don't feel inadequate because we will train, we'll do what we can to make sure that you feel comfortable and ready. But let's just see what God does in these next few weeks as we get ready for the fall, which is usually a time of harvest. God will bring people in, amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all that you are doing in our lives. God, we thank you that you are Lord over the harvest. We aren't Lord over the harvest. You are Lord over the harvest. It is your harvest, God. We don't have to carry that weight of trying to save people. You save people. But God, you've called us to be thorough. You've called us to go out and preach the gospel. You've called us to bring the good news to people who need to hear it. And God, whether they receive it or not, that's not on us. You save people. You bring people to the foot of the cross. But God, I pray that you would equip our church, God, to rise up and take our posts. God, we thank you for the people who have served at Victory all these years, faithfully standing at their posts. God, I thank you for their faithfulness, and I just pray that they would have a special portion of your spirit in these days, God, that your favor would be poured out over them, God. We pray for our pastors, God, that you would just walk with them during this time, God, where we know that the world is shaking, God. Our nation is crumbling, and it needs Jesus. America doesn't need Jesus. The church needs Jesus. And when we have it, we'll begin to see the changes in our neighborhoods, God. But we pray protection over them, physically, mentally, God, spiritually. God, we pray over their family. God, we pray over the elders, God. We pray over everyone who's serving, God, that you would give them strength to continue to serve. And God, for those who have been touched by this word, who are not yet serving, give them that desire. Give them that compassion that you had when you saw the crowd, God. When you had that compassion that moved you to reach out, to reach into the dirt, to get your hands dirty and bring people from darkness into light. God, put that weight on your church this morning, God. And Holy Spirit, help them, equip them and prepare them in this season, God. Lord, we expect revival here at Victory, God. We expect it and we believe for it. Help us to prepare and to be equipped spiritually and practically. In the mighty name of Jesus, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. These altars are open, but you are dismissed. But take a few moments, just pray and stop at that table and put your name down for something that you can do. And let's just watch as God begins to move. Amen? Amen. God bless.